this has been a privilege to, to be able to spend time in the book of Romans. We're at the end of chapter 7, and you might notice, if you were following in your Bible, that we didn't read the last part of 25. I think we have explained to you before that the chapters and verses came into the scriptures back in the 1400s or even later. They were improved. So they weren't written by the apostles. In other words, Paul didn't say, well, let's see, should I go to verse 25 or should I make a new chapter? They didn't have chapters. It all flowed together. It was, it was a letter. Does your mom ever send you chapters in her? Well, maybe some of yours do. Mine did, but no. But anyway, we don't write letters that way. Well, we hardly even write paragraphs anymore, let alone a sentence. It's all texting now. Anyway, this chapter has been, as I said, a very difficult chapter to work through and understand it word for word and sentence by sentence, phrase by phrase, phrase against phrase. And so again, I've taken the liberty to make Paul simplified or make him easier to understand. I hope it will be for you. So as we look at this chapter, Katie read it for us, but I'm going to read it my way. But first of all, I have an outline, I really do, and I'm going to try and follow it, is the spiritual battle that Paul talks about in chapter 7, 14 to 25a, and then the life of Christ taken from Galatians 2.20, which is very pertinent to this part of Paul's letter to the Romans, and then the delight in the law of God the first half of Psalm 1. Okay, let me show you how I'm going to read this. I'm not an actor, but I'm going to try to put myself into Paul's reading. Go for it, Junko. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold into slavery, sin. For I don't understand what I'm doing. For I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do what I don't want, ha, huh, I'm actually agreeing with God's law. But now, it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I want to do good, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the very evil I do not want to do. I'm going to stop right there. Probably got your, uh, your emotions going, right? Got mine anyway. You know, we need to understand what Paul is talking about when he says the mind, the inner man. What does he mean by that? 
Who is that? What part of, of me is that? The mind, the inner man. We talked about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives in the fact that we need Jesus. We need him in our lives. We have this sin that he has taken away by this death on the cross. But it's like sticky glue and sin is with us and we can't get rid of it. How do we get rid of this completely? How do I become perfect? We said last week, the Christian life, impossible. Truly impossible for us to do it. We need help. We need assistance. We need a helper. We need a someone to come alongside us and teach us and comfort us and bring us to that place of Christ-likeness. We cannot do it. You know, we often hear the accusation against Christians that we're hypocrites. I am. I am. I give the impression that I'm this godly pastor. But if you only knew what was in my heart, and he does, if you only knew how angry sometimes I get and frustrated, God knows and my wife does. So we're in a quandary as Christians. We need power. We need to understand what is the Christian life about. Let's get honest, Christians. Let's get very, very down to the nitty-gritty honest so that we are not putting on this nice, happy face and be able to not dump on everybody. No, that's not what we're asking for. But that we know that we cannot do the Christian life. That's impossible for us to do it on our own. We need a Savior. And we need to know that he's right here inside of me, living that perfect life. So it needs to be, I release my heart to his control, his lordship, so that every part of me is filled with him and his love and his word. So that's what the inner man is. But the flesh, the word flesh is uh, very interesting. It, it really is talking about the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar at all, but I've heard this word enough that it's sark, the flesh, the evil heart of all of us. We all have sark in our hearts. We are at a point where we can't get rid of that. That will not be eradicated until we are resurrected with Jesus Christ and are with him. We live with that, with the understanding that this is what we wrestle with, is our flesh. Now, that word is mentioned in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, sabar. It actually means flesh or humanity. What Paul is doing here is he's 
talking about the mind and the flesh and one against the other. And we have this dichotomy in our lives. Not two-facedness. It's only one face. We're only one person. But we deal with this in our lives. All of us do. The flesh actually is that animal behavior part of us. To put it very bluntly. We're a bunch of animals. Now that's pretty pretty base and blunt. That in our flesh, we just instinctively do the wrong thing. Or maybe it's not wrong for us. But as fallen creatures, as we learned last year in Genesis, when Eve had everything, Adam had everything, at their disposal, except for one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, if you do, you will surely die. You won't die. Did God say you would really would die? You won't die. The hiss of the snake of Satan saying, contrary to God. And Eve was all too ready to look with her eyes and see that it was good for food. And she took of it, and she ate, and she gave to her husband. Guys, we are not off the hook. Come on. That's no excuse for us. Well, she made me do it. Well, you know what? When God confronted Eve, she said, well, the, the, the devil made me do it. No, none of us are off the hook for our own sin and responsibility. And that's what Paul is talking about here, where he is dealing with his flesh and with the Spirit of God within him. We all struggle as Christians. I have never met a Christian that has not struggled What about John Piper? Or what about uh, Hudson Taylor? Or what about D.L. Moody? Well, you probably don't even know some of those names. (laughs) But they were men of God, but they all struggled, just like we do. I have never met a perfect Christian. I don't think there is one walking on earth. The only way that we do become perfect is in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is driving at. That's what he's getting to. And that is what this is all about in chapter 7. It's trying to get us to a place of admitting you can't live the Christian life on your own. It's impossible. We need Jesus. Let's go to verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer me doing it, but it's the sin that lives in me. So I find the law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
I I long to be like Jesus. I long to be free of this dead man that I'm carrying around. And in fact, that's the picture that Paul has in his mind. And he probably saw that a Roman prisoner, two of them were chained together so they wouldn't be able to run away. You've seen a three-legged race. Have you ever done a three-legged race? Well, imagine a three-legged race with a chain tied to somebody else's leg. And it's not just with a lock and key on it. It's forged together on your ankle. You can't get it off. It has to be cut off. But the person that you're tied to has died. What are you going to do? You got that picture? And you're dragging this body along, trying to live your life, and you can't. That's the picture that Paul's talking about. This body of sin, this sin that is present with me. I delight to do the law of God in my inner being, but I see a different law in my members waging war. Last night, our brother Ken talked about a song that he sang, and he says, you've got to be really angry in order to be able to sing that song. Good message. That's when you should have really launched into a message on that. (laughs) Next time you'll learn. We are in a spiritual battle, and that spiritual battle is waging war against us. And you've got to get a holy anger. God's holy anger. And to be able to understand what his anger is and who it is toward. Oh, God loves you. Oh, he's so compassionate and kind. He loves you. You know what? That is true. That is absolutely true. But you know what? That love was unleashed on Jesus Christ at the cross. God's heart was broken that his holy son became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that is the the waging of the war that is going on with us. We have this quandary that we don't know how to handle it. God is love, but he is just. And we need to come to a place in our life where we see, I see a different law in my members waging war against the law of my mind. And what is that law? That Jesus came to save me. He was the sacrificed lamb. He was the one pictured in Genesis chapter 3. I believe those skins that God covered the nakedness and the shame of the first couple, our parents, 
was a lamb. And that was the sacrifice that God was pointing to thousands of years later in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Who killed Jesus? You all know. Who killed Jesus? The Father did. The Father did. He sacrificed him. Just like Abraham was told to go up to Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, and before it was Jerusalem, and to sacrifice his one and only born to him son, Isaac. Clear picture. It wasn't the Romans who killed Jesus. It was a Roman cross. And it was a Roman soldier that nailed his arms to that cross and his feet to the cross. But it was the Father who offered his Son for us. That's how much God loves each one of us. He allowed his Son to be given for my sin. But Jesus died. And in his death, as it was promised, in three days I will rebuild this temple, his body. And Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to live forever. And as we also talked about, Jesus' resurrection was like no resurrection ever before it or after it. His resurrection was a perfect resurrection. And the same Jesus who died on the cross and then was resurrected is the same Jesus, the same body in heaven now for us, standing before the Father, the sacrificed lamb. We read that in Revelation. And I saw a lamb on the throne. That was Jesus in human body for us. His love. That is the gospel, and that's what we've been talking about all along here, the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ. The law of sin that is in my members made me captive. So Paul cries out, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? from this man that I keep dragging around with me so that I'm not free to be the Christian that I should be. We all feel that drag, don't we? We all deal with that. Paul's trying to bring us to reality. We need a Savior. We need Jesus to live his life through us. And then Paul comes to this glorious statement in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can take this apart. God not only put his son to death, but he raised him from the dead so that we would have sanctification 
and he would go to the Father and send back the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and dwell within us to be able to live the Christian life like Christ. Thanks be to God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ? That's not what Paul says. Look at it. He doesn't say the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say, folks? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what is named first there? Jesus. Jesus. Savior. Christ, the Anointed One. Our, our, our Lord. We bow down before him. We worship him for what he has done for us. Amen. It's done. That is such a wonderful Savior. Galatians 2.20 This may be new to some of you, but probably not. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So that the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of who? The Son of God. It's His faithfulness. It's His honesty. It's His purity. It's Him that is living through me. But first of all, let's not forget, we need to get up on this cross and hang there. And there are situations you are going through right now, many of you, if not all of you, where you feel like you're being crucified. Accusations coming against you. And as we said, the cross is a very, very unique execution mechanism. It was created before the Romans, but the Romans used it best. And it says that at the right time, Jesus Christ died for us. Right when the cross was the mode of demonstrating who sinners, who prisoners, who were criminals, and Jesus Christ was hung on a cross for us. And he became ignominious. Isaiah says, we, we looked at him, we didn't know him. And his, his face and his being, we, we didn't recognize. But Jesus Christ died for us. And we ourselves also need to die to this man of sin, this dead body that we keep dragging around. We need to come to a place of freedom in our Christian lives. That's what Paul's talking about. Christ lives in me. What life does he live? A resurrection life. That's who we, we see here. It's not little baby Jesus, meek and mild, away in the manger. No, it's not. He came as a baby, yes. 
He came to us to learn to be a man, to walk as a man, so that he could die in our place. That's the gospel, folks. And that's what he wants us to get hold of, understanding that Jesus Christ is living in me, the resurrected Jesus Christ and his life is in me. So that the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Original question was, who wins in this whole deal? Sounds like a a loser's game. But who wins? Psalm 1, 1 1-3. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams and yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Who wins? Jesus wins. Jesus has won. He's not crowned yet. We will crown him at his coronation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. John talks about that in Revelation. We will be there at that coronation. The king. But you know, along with him succeeding and winning, we win. We win if we get hold of this gospel and we understand it and we begin to apply it to our lives. That's where he wants us to be as believers. Here in Japan, That's his heart cry for the Japanese nation. To see true Christians walking on their streets, demonstrating the life of a crucified Jesus Christ and resurrected living in us. That's what Japan needs. And George and And thank you for coming to Japan. Thank you for having the same burden that we have for these people. Japanese are incredibly, can I use this? Incredibly beautiful people. God has put in our hearts a love for the Japanese. We need to pray for the Japanese church right now. It's probably at its weakest time in the history of the church. Pastors are growing old. Half the churches in Japan do not have pastors. What's happening? What is happening? It seems like the enemy is winning. But we know that he can't win. The book says he can't and won't. But we who are here and have an opportunity to walk in these streets and to know our friends and neighbors, 
we were delighted, Katie and I, last night to invite our neighbors to come and hear Ken and George. They loved it. And it was a good time for us to, to share with them. We pray that they will receive Jesus Christ. They're a beautiful couple. Two boys in college don't know Jesus. But they asked us, can we come to your church? What? You want to come to our church? Yes, they wanted to come to our church. Probably wanted to check us out and see what kind of people we were. But that's okay. Because we're, we're walking with Jesus in our lives. Allowing him to have his fullness and his person shining through us. That's what we desire for you. That's our heart for every believer here in Japan, whether you're Gaijin or Japanese. That's what we desire. And so God bless you. And may you know that God's going to win. And he's going to win through winners. And we are winners, not losers. He's taken care of the old man in our lives. And we need to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit and to have him in our lives to the point where everything that I do, everything that I say, will be to his honor and his glory. We're going to jump into Romans 8. I haven't announced this to Dan. Dan's preaching two sermons from Romans 8, but he doesn't know what the message is yet. We made a deal that if I'm gone for two Sundays, he'll get two opportunities to preach on Romans 8. But Dan, I made an executive decision yesterday. I get the first seven verses of 8 because it really fits in to this message and I can slide into it much easier than you. (laughs) He's smiling. He's a great guy. (laughs) But he's in shock because he wanted to do that. Well, you know what? This congregation is such an easy congregation that if you preach exactly the same thing that I do, they won't know the difference. So God bless you. But I get one more crack at the Romans. The Lord bless us and allow us to come into a greater understanding of what it means for us to succeed. Not in the sense of prosperity gospel, but in the sense of allowing the life of Jesus Christ to live through us. The resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Flowing through us on every occasion, whatever the emergency, whatever the situation that seems like, Lord, why are you sending this to me? Because I can trust you. Because you walk with me. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And a Christian is a little Christ. We are anointed ones. God has placed his blessing on us if we have confessed Jesus Christ as our Savior.